Katie Daly. Welcome to Bluegrass Stories. Bluegrass Radio in the Washington, D.C. area has a long and storied history. It started on WAMU-FM in 1967 when broadcasters Gary Henderson and Dick Spotswood hosted a half-hour weekly show called Bluegrass Unlimited. Six decades later, a lot has changed, but Bluegrass Radio still has a home in D.C. Howard Parker talked with Chris Teske, Program Director of Bluegrass Country Radio. Well, you know, uh, WAMU is the reason that I'm here now. Um, uh, I, um, I was hired by WAMU in, in 2011 to be Program Director of uh, the Bluegrass, uh, the Bluegrass uh, Frequency, which at the time was 105.5. Uh, FM and um, and uh, before that I was uh, in Connecticut. I started doing radio in 1974 at my college, which is Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, and I did a show of you know the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt and the Grateful Dead and all that and Jackson Brown and all that country kind of rock stuff that that I that I liked. And then um, uh, uh, you know I discovered Doc Watson and. Um, I got a phone call one one night when I was doing my radio show from a, a guy who was, um, his name was Doug Tuckman, and he's a promoter in New York City, and he was doing a show out in Stratford, Connecticut at the American Shakespeare Festival Theater, and he called me and he said, have you ever heard of the seldom scene? And I said, well, no. This is 1977. Uh, I said, no, I'd never heard of the seldom scene. And he said, well, I'm going to send you their records because uh, they're playing at the Shakespeare Theater. So he sent me all the records up to that time, which I think the, the new Seldom Scene album, which was released in, that was the name of the album, was released in 1976, was the latest thing. He sent me all the records on, on Rebel Records, and it just blew my mind. I had never heard anything like this, and I thought this was the greatest thing I had ever heard. John Duffy's, you know, skyscraper tenor, and doing things like Sweet Baby James, and I Know You Rider, and things that I, that I recognized. And so I was completely, uh, from that point forward, I did bluegrass radio. No more, no more Linda Ronstadt, cold, no more Jackson cold turkey. Brown. Oh, just bang. But I didn't really know that much about what I was doing, you know. And um, so uh, he invited me to come out and um, MC at that show, and I'd never emceed a show before. So I was emceeing the opening act, which was um, Don Reno and the Tennessee Cutoffs. And I went out on the stage, and I had my little rehearsed thing, and then I forgot who I was introducing. And I was like, and I think the audience was just starting to titter when I looked into the wings and I saw Don with his banjo and I said, oh, Don Reno and the Tennessee Cuddles, and I was saved. <laughs> so that was my really my introduction to bluegrass, uh, both. I, and I had been to bluegrass festivals. Um, I had been to um, uh, uh, a festival in, in, in uh, Vermont on the 4th of July weekend in 1976 where Olden in the Way played without Garcia, but they had Bill Keith on the banjo instead. And, um, and of course, I knew that music by then. So, so I wasn't completely out of it, but, um, but really, I I, I jumped in, you know, I leapt into the deep end and said, I'm going to do a bluegrass radio show and that's it. And there weren't any in Connecticut, at least not in Southern Connecticut at the time, so I owned it for a while. Was, was there the, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Hillbilly, Hillbilly of Harvard, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the Boston area playing at that time? Were you, yeah, were you able to listen to some of that stuff? No, because that was too far away. I mean, Boston was 150 miles okay. away, so we didn't, you know, there was no, no internet at the time. Or okay. You know. Um, and then I um, and then I was recruited to do radio at WPKN, which was the University of Bridgeport station. But it was completely independent, and um, and uh, an interesting thing happened there, which, where the um, uh, the Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, took over the um, uh, the university. And at the time, a foreign-owned corporation could not own. Uh, um, uh, uh, could not hold um, uh, an FCC license. Uh, now they can, of course. Um, and um, and so uh, the university gave us the radio station for a dollar and gave us a 30-year lease to stay in 
on the premises. So they sort of gave the the Unification Church a little poison pill. You know, they had to take that on, you know, because they're going to take over all the leases and everything. And and so we became completely independent and completely listener supported with no underwriting, no grants, no nothing. The concept was to be listener supported. And that's what I'm trying to get done now with Bluegrass Country. Now, I was at that station for 32 years. So we, we survived for 32 years on listener donations. And was that uh, station a uh, national public radio affiliate or you were just an independent listener supported station? That's a good question. And no, we were only listener supported. We were not affiliated with any other groups. Um, you know, we'd run um, we'd run a syndicated program once in a while, but we uh, but we're not affiliated. We weren't affiliated with APR, NPR, or uh, or Pacifica. You know, um, so so that was a, that was a real lesson for me in in that it could be done. You know that that you could have now. Of course, WPKN is ten thousand watts in Fairfield County, which is very different than being an HD radio station in um, in Washington D.C. However, many more people live in Washington, and and. For my money, Washington, D.C. always was and still is the bluegrass capital of the country. You know, I know a lot of people have moved to Nashville, but D.C., you know, uh, I used to drive down when I was in college. I would, I would drive down to the University of Maryland where I had a friend, and uh, I'd sleep on the floor in the dorm, and we'd go to the Birchmere. So, um, you know, because I, I, knew, I knew from even then that Washington was the place to come. And it still is. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it may not be as vibrant as it was when the gents, when the country gentlemen and the seldom scene and the Johnson Mountain Boys were all here at the same time. But it still has a, a good bluegrass scene and, um, and, ha- and now has that long history. So you spent approximately 30 years in Connecticut in, in public broadcasting. And how did you, uh, how did you manage to uh, land your stint at uh, AMU? What, what, what brought you down to AMU? Well, I was, um, I was, uh, uh, Thinking about what I was going to do next, and you know, I, became, uh, you know I, I had worked in the record business. I had worked for Green Linnet Records. In a, you know, in addition to doing radio, I was the CEO, COO of Green Linnet Records, uh, and we put out traditional Irish and Scottish recordings. And I was there for 18 years. And when that label was sold to Compass Records, a, a label that is familiar to uh, bluegrass people, or should be, uh, or should be, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, it was uh, a Compass. Compass took over Green Linnet and. Um, and suddenly, all the people in Connecticut didn't have jobs, you know, because Compass didn't really need us, and we would have to move to Nashville, which I would have done. But um, uh, I started a record company called Mad River Records and put out 26 albums. And he, all the records made money, except one, but it wasn't enough money for me to live on. So I was like, what am I going to do next? And then I got an email from a friend of mine in, uh, in Cleveland. His name is Art Hansen. He does, a, he does an Americana show for us now at, um, at Bluegrass Country. And Art sent me an email that said, Chris, I just came across this job listing. This job has your name on it. And it was to be the um, senior music producer of the Bluegrass radio station at WAMU. I read the job description. I said, I'm getting that job. I mean, and out of my way. You know, it was really one of those, you know, knock from your horse things where I just said, I'm, I'm getting that job. And I did everything I could to get it. In fact, I called B. Michael Dempsey, who I knew. And I said, what do you know about this job? And he said, well, I'm on the hiring committee. I said, well, that's, that's probably going to be useful. <laughs> so I came down a couple of times for interviews and um, uh, uh, got the job. And, and what, what year was this? That was 2011. Okay. So I, um, so I uh, uh, 
uh, rented out my house in Connecticut because the real estate market was really terrible and I couldn't sell it. And I only had six weeks anyway, you know, to turn it around. So I rented out the house, threw all my stuff in a truck, moved to Maryland. For decades, WAMU had had a significant amount of bluegrass programming mm-hmm. on their main FM frequency, 88.5. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at, at the time that you interviewed, had they given up programming on 88.5 or were they still on 88.5 FM? No, no, they had given up uh, 88.5 a few years prior and uh, they had gone, um, Dick Cassidy, one of the, maybe the, the, the greatest unsung hero in bluegrass that nobody knows about. Dick Cassidy uh, uh, it was the chief engineer at uh, WAMU. And uh, he had been, in 1970, Dick put NPR on the air. He was NPR's first engineer. And, uh, and his dad was um, uh, a classical music host in Los Angeles when Dick was a kid. So Dick, and I know I'm digressing a little bit, but, but Dick is um, somebody who was in radio his entire life. And uh, Dick um, decided, after, after uh, WAMU took Bluegrass off the air, Dick decided as a project he would start a Bluegrass um, internet radio station. And he was just a project he wanted to do. So they called it Bluegrass Country, which was the name of, uh, was it Red Shipley's program? Somebody had a program um, called Bluegrass Country. I, I, I can't remember. Maybe, maybe Katie will know. Um, but um, but uh, they called it Bluegrass Country. They got a, a grant from the NEA, and they started broadcasting bluegrass on the Internet, back when there weren't any Internet radio stations. So it was a groundbreaking, a groundbreaking uh, maneuver. Um, and then uh, 105.5 FM became available. And Dick knows everybody in the radio scene in the greater Washington area. So he ha- always has his ear to the ground. He knew that 105.5 was becoming available. And he made a deal to lease 105.5 from its owner. And suddenly we were back on the FM. Now, that's about a year before I got there. That was either tw- 2009 or 2010 that that happened. So when I came, it was online at uh, bluegrasscountry.org and at 105.5. And um, that's, uh, that's what I walked into. And, and when did, um, uh, just to jump ahead a, a little bit again, uh, eventually um, uh, uh, WMU uh, lost the lease for 105.5, which is an interesting, somewhat funny story all in itself, which has to do with... Uh, from what I understand, the Russians. Well, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, RT is a Russian uh, Russian television, and they own um, a radio service called Sputnik Radio. And um, the owner, uh, and, and this is, I'm not talking out of school here because the Washington Post reported this, this is where I read it, that the Russians offered this guy $900,000 for for uh, uh, to to lease it. Now we were paying him seventy five hundred dollars a month, so you can see how <laughs> you can't really blame the guy. Except, except that the irony in the current um, in the current uh, environment in Washington that American an American art form, bluegrass and country music, would be shoved aside for Russian propaganda. The irony is not lost on me. No, it's not, probably not lost on anyone actually that read that Washington Post article. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, uh, so, so that's that, that's gone, and and, and now j- jumping ahead, leaping ahead, even 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 little little bit more. Um, the uh, uh, WAMU's um, uh, HD two subchannel became available, mm-hmm. and and currently now. Um, in uh, 2019, going into uh, uh, 2020, uh, uh, Bluegrass Country Radio can be heard on um, 
885 HD2, mm -hmm. as well as streaming at uh, bluegrasscountryradio.org. Uh, bluegrasscountry.org. I'm sorry, yeah. bluegrasscountry.org. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and here we are, um, the state of bluegrass radio and internet radio in the, in the 21st century. I'm sure it has been a challenge. It will be a challenge. It's a, it's a whole new world out there. Um, from from my perspective, the the station, the content sounds um, uh, pretty identical to where it was uh, in in the, during the latter part of the uh, WAMU's over over the air over the FM airways. Mm -hmm. So you've done a remarkable job in keeping the the content uh, consistent. Um, what what challenges are are you guys having right right now in the in the the wonderful world of the internet radio. Well, you know, um, the main challenge is always, you can imagine, raising enough money to keep doing it. You know, that's uh, because we only go to the listeners. We have a couple of underwriters, but you know, um, because we're trying to take a national approach or an international approach to this, where we're broadcasting on the internet, so people hear us all around the world. Um, if you've got a if you've got a concert series in Washington D.C., forty percent of our listeners are never going to come to your show because they live outside of the area. Um, so, so we have some challenges with underwriting, and that's why we're focused on individual donations um, from from the listeners. And if everybody who if everybody who listened would donate, you know, ten bucks, we'd be we'd be we'd be solid. But um, only about uh, uh, between five and ten percent of public radio listeners donate. So, and uh, that's a, uh, a historic. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, that's a historical. Uh, that that that's a that's a real statistic, and it's been it doesn't move very much. Yeah. You know, um, that's just how it is. And uh, and so our challenge is to get that number up, to get more people to donate. You know, and and to and to get more listeners. And that's just you know you just have to show up every day. You know, you just have to keep doing it, and that's the way to get more listeners. Having bands come in to play live, then maybe they. They tell their they tell their fans you know they they send um, an email or a tweet out to their fans and that um, and that gets us a few more listeners but um, you know people uh, people buy records one at a time and I think you get radio listeners one at a time you know you don't get groups of people radio is a very one on one sort of uh, it's it's a one on one relationship whenever I hear if I hear a host on on bluegrass country say all you people out there or all you listeners or everyone out there in Radioland, I call them on it and I say, you're talking to one person. You're talking to one person at a time. Remember that. It may seem that you're addressing a, a crowd, but that's for the that's for the concert hall. Radio is um, uh, an individual relationship. And that's a very important thing to remember about radio, uh, at least, uh, you know, if you're a broadcaster. So, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get that person who's listening to realize it's worth it to send us 10 bucks. Now, one of the wonderful things that that I recognize is that um, um, is that the Bluegrass Country Radio has a fairly broad perspective of the music. I mean, it is a bluegrass um, uh, radio station, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, uh, but you also broadcast a number of uh, oh, I don't know what I would call other roots related. Uh, music, uh, which is historic. Uh, uh, WAMU was doing the same thing back in the day, so so that hasn't changed. And you also have a, a wonderful mixture of uh, local on-air personalities uh, that appeal to uh, folks and are known to folks in the D.C. area and in syndicated programming as well. Can you sort of talk about that mix? And yeah, well, um, 
I think that people would like bluegrass music more if they if they heard it. You know, a lot of people have a preconceived notion of bluegrass being, you know, hee-haw, you know, which of course was tongue-in-cheek to a large degree. All the corny jokes were told in a cornfield, and but but the playing is fantastic. I mean, Dizzy Gillespie uh, told uh, uh, jazz fiddlers to listen to the country guys for for their for to improve their improvisation chops. You know, so there are great musicians in bluegrass. So. I'm, my my approach to it is well if I have a Zydeco show, then the Zydeco fans might st stick around and hear some bluegrass. If, if we have um, a New Orleans show, people will stick around. So I'm I'm using the other musical styles. They're great in in, in uh, of themselves, but to bring people into the into the roots music world and to maybe hear bluegrass and maybe bluegrass people will hear Zydeco and all this cross pollination because it's all really coming from the same place. You know. I mean, America is a really diverse place, but the music um, is all based, you know, it's based on Celtic music, it's based on African music, it's based on uh, uh, Latino music, and it's all here in this big melting pot, just like the population. And so that's what I'm, that, that's what I'm trying to present, is all the great American music that's, that's roots music, that, you know, every, everything that isn't pop music. And, uh, and uh, just off the top of your head, can you sort of run down a... A short list of different genres that, uh, besides uh, Zydeco and the uh, oh, bluegrass, sure. that uh, that your folks offer. Yeah, well, um, well, there's bl uh, bluegrass programming, of course. We have um, we have Dick Spotswood who does early country and uh, early jazz. Um, we have uh, the Zydeco show that I mentioned. We have Thistle and Shamrock, which is hosted by Fiona Ritchie. That's a, that's a public radio program. Uh, that's, uh, that's Celtic music, both traditional and modern. We have a, we have a, a program on a Sunday night called American Roots, and that's music from New Orleans. Jay Bruder does a program called um, The Hometown Special that features music from the Washington, D.C. area, roots music from Washington. Um, uh, Ronnie Norton does a bluegrass show, but from a European perspective because he's in Dublin. And then we have Mike Keir doing a bluegrass show with an Australian perspective because he lives in Sydney. Um, so um, there's that much diversity. And, um, and Joe Boussard, who lives uh, up here in Frederick, by the way, uh, Joe Boussard with his 15,078s in his basement um, does, uh, uh, does uh, early jazz and early country music. And uh, uh, it's amazing. I, 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 I went to Joe's house and he'll say, oh yeah, you want to hear that record? And he goes and he pulls it out. He doesn't have a filing system. He just knows where everything is. It's astonishing. And for those that don't know Joe, I mean, he's actually a legendary character mm -hmm. in... In in the music world, he he's uh, he, I know he's told a couple of people. I'm not sure if he's backed down from this again. But he, one time he says, "No, if it's not on a 78, I'm not going to listen to it. If it's on a if it's on a CD, I don't know if he still doesn't own a CD player, oh, um, or I, not, or a 33 RPM long playing record uh, turntable." But uh, <laughs> he was certainly Mister 78. Oh, he told me that uh, that there's uh, uh, no good jazz made after 1930. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's got his perspective, but it's a unique perspective on the radio and something that that uh, I think people should hear. So, so those are some of the things that we offer. Um, and, and then we have a couple of Americana shows. We have um, we have uh, Bill Freighter who does the Freight Train Boogie. He's out in um, he's out in Oregon, and so is um, and so is uh, Art Hansen. And those guys do um, Americana shows, which really. Americana is broad. I mean, Paul McCartney is considered Americana, which is funny since he's from Liverpool, and uh, and so is Johnny Cash. So the Americana tent is very large, and so those guys have, uh, you know, they've got a broad palette um, uh, uh, to work from. 
And I, I don't want to leave leave off any of my favorites, but just just off a, of a short list that that I developed. I mean, people that I know and well respected in the bluegrass industry, and certainly are and 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 roots music, and certainly are deep uh, catalog include uh, Fred Bartenstein, of which is incredible credentials. Um, Ivy Shepherd is uh, doing stained glass bluegrass, I believe. Uh, Ivy does stained glass bluegrass, and she does Born in the Mountain on Saturday nights. Uh, the incredible Eddie Stubbs. Uh, mm -hmm. You and I gather you folks have access to the old Eddie Stubbs archive. Uh, yes, we've got about um, we've got about sixty or seventy Eddie Stubbs programs, and uh, I know that there's more kicking around, and we're and, and we're trying to dig them up. Um, uh, uh, you know, WAMU mothballed all that stuff, and and um, uh, we were able to we were able to find um, a year's worth of shows. And so we've been running those on Mondays, uh, Mondays at noon. But Eddie's show was only two hours, and he's got a three-hour time slot now, so we have to kind of slice and dice the old shows to uh, fill in the three hours. But those shows are great, and I've learned so much from Eddie Stubbs about early country music that... Uh, yeah, who, who, uh, who, has, who has not? As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, I would be one of those people that would not object to hearing those shows just run constantly Monday through Friday over <laughs> and over and over again. Right. Uh, but I'm afflicted. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cindy Bauckham, uh, you're running her syndicated programs? So yeah, we run, we run Cindy's program. And Cindy has, um, Cindy has started uh, doing a gospel hour, which we haven't added yet, but I'd like to add Cindy's gospel hour somewhere in the programming as well. Um, but um, yeah, uh, Knee Deep in Bluegrass has been running since since we started. Since we started um, uh, with the Bluegrass Country Foundation, independent of WAMU, when I had to, you know, I was faced with, okay, here's uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What are you going to do with it? And a lot of it was already there, but uh, I started pulling in programs like Cindy's because, you know, I mean, she's got great credentials. She was um, broadcaster of the year last year. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, she knows her way around. She's married to Terry. Bauckham, the great banjo player. That's a that's few credentials right there. Yeah, well, right, right, you know. So uh, Cindy's show is great, and she's a real pro. I mean, one, one of the, the, the great thing about our staff is everybody's a real pro. They get their shows done on time, and, and, and they're really conscientious about, about, the, uh, about the content. And, uh, and an old-timer, uh, although I hate to use the word old-timer to, to describe anybody that's been around for decades, certainly is Lee Michael, Lee Michael Dempsey. Lee Michael Dempsey, yeah, started at WAMU in 1982. So um, Lee's, uh, Lee's been on the air for a long time and, um, and knows his way around. I mean, you know, <laughs> Lee, uh, Lee is he's an encyclopedia of modern bluegrass, and it's all in his head. You know, so he's uh, an invaluable member of the member of the staff, and uh, so Lee's doing a couple things for us. But he's on uh, he's on Saturdays, um, uh, Saturday afternoon or morning into the afternoon, and um, and, and he also uh, he also um, does uh, editors' picks and um, an open mic. He um, he uh, curates those programs for us too. Um, I'd like to talk uh, just uh, just a little bit uh, the. Um, the management of uh, Bluegrass Country uh, Radio is by the uh, the Bluegrass Country Foundation, yes. uh, which is a, a nonprofit five hundred one c c three, and I believe that was created to actually um, um, extricate Bluegrass Country Radio from the original ownership of WAMU to its 
own entity. Uh, yes. what, what can you tell us about the uh, Bluegrass Country Foundation? Well, um, uh, the, the way it occurred was WAMU announced that they were going to cease music um, broadcasting at 105.5 and, uh, and uh, the HD2 channel, and they invited people to um, submit proposals to take over the service. They didn't want to just uh, end it. They wanted somebody else to, uh, to run it. And uh, a guy named Jeff Luden, uh, who um, uh, uh, he, he, and, he and his wife Karen run the uh, the long running Luckett's Bluegrass series. Historic, uh, yeah. historic venue. That's right. Yeah, at the uh, at the old schoolhouse out there. And so they um, they were running Luckett's. I I knew Jeff. Um, uh, they had done uh, some underwriting with us and uh, and some programs because you know once in a while one of the bands from Luckett's would come and play live on the air. So I knew Jeff. And um, Jeff took it. Uh, Jeff took it on to organize um, a board of directors and try to raise the money and submit a proposal to WAMU that uh, that they would accept um, to have some people with some credibility take it over. And um, and Jeff recruited the right people, um, and uh, and he put a board together. WAMU agreed, and we um, we took it over. They um, they asked me to come back and be the you know. Uh, I was no longer at WAMU, so they um, they called me and asked me to come back, and I said, "Yo, I'd love to do that." You know, so um, so we started to back up. Um, I think February first, twenty seventeen, is when we when we kicked off running with the Bluegrass Country Foundation. But the foundation is not it's not an organization with deep pockets. It's a bunch of volunteers who just think that this is worth preserving after you know with all the history uh, in the uh, in the area. So the board is you know, six or seven people. You know, uh, in fact, it probably should be expanded. A relatively you know, small board. Relatively and, and small board, yep. But but it's a working board. You know, it's, um, I, I mean, obviously, you know, people have donated money to, to make it go. But um, but we rely on the on the listeners. The board is not, you know, when you hear foundation, you think that there must be some big piece of money that's generating interest or or grants and, and, and other, other sources of funds, but they're, they really don't exist. You know, um, our money comes from our listeners, and and we like it that way. It keeps you from having, you know, there's no strings attached to that. You know, to to have, you know, it's like it's like Bernie Sanders' campaign. You know, you have a lot of people giving you twenty twenty five dollars. You know, um, uh, uh, it keeps you it keeps you honest, and it keeps um it keeps the listeners involved, and it keeps people feeling like they have a little bit, you know, they have a little bit at stake. They have a little skin in the game, even if it's you know if it's twenty five dollars. But you you help to make it go, and I just love that concept. You know, that's the, uh, and so that's the concept we're trying to run it on. And are most of your donations solicited in the Washington, D.C. area, or um, I, I won't hold you to a percentage, but mm -hmm. approximately how many come from D.C. or how many now are from outside the area because you you now have an international reach? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll hazard a guess. Okay. I would say that 75% of our uh, donations come from the, uh, the greater Washington area. And the other twenty-five percent from all over the place. We have, we have a um, a man in Germany, who donates every time. Uh, we have we have people, you know. I mean, there were donations yesterday from Florida and Colorado, um, and people donate money from all over the place. Uh, Canada, Japan, uh, Ireland. It's uh, it's uh, international. I'm not too much uh, from Asia except for Japan, and we don't uh, we don't hear from South America very much. 
uh, or Antarctica. Although we did get a letter from Antarctica one time. Uh, Katie Daly told me about it. It was before I was there, but uh, there were people working on a, a, some military base down there. And they were listening to bluegrass music on the internet in Antarctica. So we can claim that continent <laughs> <laughs> as having listeners when there's people there. <laughs> that's, uh, that's terrific. Um, uh, since I have somewhat geekish tendencies, and you're here as, uh, as, as program director, and I note that we are not in um, the Bluegrass Country Radio's studios, mm -hmm. so to speak, and I use, the, I use the word studio sort of in, in quote, quotations. How does, how does a program director in, um, in 2019 manage, um, manage programming, the combination of syndicated and, and local programming? Um, uh, you have people spread out all over the place. I would assume that they are not going into a studio in 2019 to record their programming. Can you sort of give us a brief description of how that normally would happen? Well, almost everyone has a home studio now, and we have um, we have a, 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 a software program that people can access um, from their from their uh, home computers, and it has a database of about 125,000 tracks. Uh, of music and then and and, and uh, different announcements, you know, thirty second spots or announcements about upcoming programs, etc. That we create and everybody has access to that, and that's how they build their programs. Um, so really, what you you need a good microphone and an interface and a computer and and an internet connection, a and, robust and, internet connection, and a robust internet connection, and you can do a program from anywhere. And when I travel, I put all my stuff in a bag. And I can do my show from anywhere. I've done my program from my um, my brother-in-law. I've set my stuff up on my brother-in-law's pool table, and done the show from in there because that because his his pool table room has a, a good acoustics, you know. So uh, people do shows from everywhere. But the way I manage it, first of all, I'm really dependent on my staff. So I have to have people that are responsible and that get their shows done on time. If I if I didn't have everybody being responsible for themselves and their time. I'd have chaos. So I can't micromanage it. So if you're doing a show every Monday, your show's got to be there. And it, it, if it isn't there, then then we have to have a discussion because um, I can't I can't micromanage it with people living in Dublin. You know, I can't I can't have a staff meeting. I can't have a staff meeting. I don't think we've ever, I think we had one staff meeting when we started up and that did not include the people who lived who lived outside of the area, you know. Um, no, we can't. I, I suppose we could have a virtual staff meeting, but even that's difficult because of the other uh, time zones. I've got a guy in Australia. He'd have to get up at three in the morning to have a, you know, which, which I'm sure Mike would do, but. Uh, but he might be somewhat cranky. Yeah, yeah, know? right, right. We, we wouldn't have him at his best. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and we wouldn't use FaceTime. <laughs> and, and how do you, um, can you describe how those, programs. I mean, once, uh, uh, if I were Michelle Murray, for instance, who's a, uh, um, um, one of the newer on-air personalities, um, how would I uh, get my program? Uh, how would Michelle get her program to you? And how would that be placed uh, in, the, in the schedule? Right. Well, it's all, um, you know, M Michelle's on from six to seven, four days a week, uh, Monday through Thursday. So Michelle um, has access to that hour in the, in the, um, in the database and in the, uh, in the software. And then she can pick the music and, then, and record her voice and then save it. And it goes into our server. And so, um, so we have a centrally located server that's down on Connecticut Avenue in the uh, WAMU building. And, um, and everybody does it the same way. I do it from home. I can go to the station and, and, and do my show live if I want to. So can anybody, but, 
if you live in Los Angeles, that's not going to happen. You know, so um, so uh, people um, have access to the music. They can record their voices and they place their programs. They they drag the they drag the tracks in. Um, and so, so let's say so. So you start your show, you drag in a track, and you, and you, and and then after that you say, and that was that was Bill Monroe and his Bluegrass Boys and Uncle Penn starting us off here, and then you, and then maybe you describe the next track and you play two or three in a row or whatever you're going to do, and then you talk about them. So um, you don't really do it in in real time. Uh, again, we could, but but this is this is how radio is done now, and it's not just us, but. It, uh, uh, the, the, the program is called Station Playlist. It's a wonderful program. It was developed by Australians for people to run radio stations, independent radio stations. And um, uh, I think it might have been developed for internet radio stations, but we use it uh, very successfully. Uh, so, so that's how people do it. And um, uh, you, can, you can do an hour of radio if you're efficient. You can do an hour of radio and maybe a half an hour, you know, because you don't have to, you don't have to play through the songs. The problem with it is that if you're doing a live radio show and you're listening to the music, you're having the same experience as the listener in real time. And that is now absent. So I prefer to be a listener as well. You know, while I'm doing my show, I'm also a fan of the music. I'm also listening to my own radio programming and critiquing it in real time. I have that, that feedback loop of, oh, I made that mistake. Now if I make a mistake, I delete it and do it over again. So... It's a completely different concept, uh, but I don't know. I, I mean, the AM radio is live, but I don't think much of FM radio is live anymore. I think it's all um, automated, all yeah, automated to, to, to one extent or, or another. Yeah, and, and recorded ahead of time. But it gives you know, like almost all technological things, um, you lose something and you gain something. I can do my show anytime I want. I can do my program tomorrow, today, if I want to. Um, I can delete errors. But it loses a certain amount of immediacy. You know, uh, there's that, that real people in real time thing that... You can no longer listen to Foggy Mountain Breakdown and wonder if, Earl, if Lester was playing an E minor or an E major. <laughs> or <laughs> right. Because all you did was drag that track <laughs> into that software and let it go. Well, well that's right. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, whenever I'm at a jam session, if somebody calls that tune, I always play the E major. Just because somebody will say, that's wrong. And I'll say, no, it isn't. I just, <laughs> I just do it to amuse myself. <laughs> now, my, my assumption is, is that uh, with syndicated programming, it works much the same way. You Yes. You get um, you get a track, uh, one big track maybe, and yes. just drag it into the slot, and uh, and and away uh, and away you go. Well, that's exactly right. And you know, WAMU has you know now that I think about it, they have live programming. I mean, One A is live, and Kojo Namdi is live. The news is live in the morning. Certainly. But then there's a whole bunch of syndicated programs as well. So there's a mix of all things of live. considered. And, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a mix of live and uh, and recorded. Yeah, and and in in addition. Um, to the wonderful programming, of course, is that uh, uh, you continue um, to videotape live performances in in the studio, uh, mm -hmm. which is wonderful because Bluegrass uh, Bluegrass Country Radio uh, still maintains a YouTube channel uh, with. Um, well, I suspect more than dozens of videos. I'm sure there are hundreds of oh, them. Oh, there's hundreds. And we've had, um, uh, in the aggregate, uh, over 2 million views. 
it's really um, it's uh, you know I wish we had two million listeners <laughs> you know the uh, the video channel has been quite successful um, uh, we, we haven't been putting them up quite as um, quite as often now because uh, we had this wonderful videographer who um, moved back to New Zealand so um, so we lost him uh, he was a very creative uh, interesting interesting guy and um, and he did all he did all those videos uh, so um, so we do them less frequently now uh, but we see, uh, you know, the last one we put up was the milk carton kids. They came in and we did a video with them. And um, uh, whenever, you know, we do it whenever we have a chance. I mean, it really enhances the programming and it's just fun. You know, it's just fun. Becky Buller was in a few months back and uh, last year I had Peter Rowan. We have a video of Peter Rowan. Um, <laughs> it was funny, Peter Rowan, uh, his, uh, his new record was that, uh, that Hawaiian record that he made. He shows up, I completely studied his record i listened to it i read all about the hawaiian record pete rowan shows up he sits down and he says you don't want to talk about bluegrass <laughs> it's like of course i want to talk about bluegrass i thought you wanted to talk about the hawaiian record so we talked about bluegrass it was great <laughs> yeah that, there's that little thing called the stint with bill monroe and the bluegrass boys yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right but um you know uh, uh here's a here, here's an interesting thing that happened um pete rowan showed up and he said W-A-M-U. It's like coming home. He'd never been to those studios before. He'd never been to those studios because, uh, you know, we'd only been there for a couple of years. The studios had moved a couple of times over the years. So Pete was viewing W-A-M-U coming home as a concept rather than an actual physical location. And I, and I like to think of it that way, that no matter where we are, whether I'm broadcasting from my brother-in-law's pool table room or somebody's broadcasting from from uh, uh, Sydney, Australia, it's still bluegrass country. It's still WAMU is bluegrass country, and that long history is still there. And just uh, I'm thinking of, of uh, the history of the of the number of uh, bands that showed up uh, uh, on AMU and bluegrass country radio after after a gig, after a after a Birchmere gig, mm -hmm. um, um, the the the. Uh, the entertainment that was the overnight, the weekend overnight show. Bluegrass um, overnight, yeah. With uh, some of the most insane. <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but I'll probably edit this out. But I, I remember a few said, "What the heck is going on there?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was before my time, but I have heard the stories. <laughs> there, yeah, and they're all, and they're and they're all true. Well, in. in uh, uh, 2019, 2020, and uh, going forward, what 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 does management see as the the biggest challenges uh, um, to longevity uh, in internet radio and uh, outside of, of course, the the fundraising? Right. Well, you know, um, at one time we thought there was too much competition on uh, with internet radio because there's at least ten thousand internet radio stations of all different kinds of music. At least ten thousand, and that's just what you know people know about uh, i mean just thought you know that's you know uh, there was a survey done and they came up with ten thousand. i'm sure there's many more <laughs> but because you have to pay royalties you have to pay royalties to um, sound exchange for music that you play on the uh, on the air uh, or on the on the internet and, and without getting too geeky about it um the um terrestrial broadcasters don't pay that royalty terrestrial broadcasters pay a royalty to songwriters through ASCAP, BMI, SOCAN, and any other societies, but they don't pay for use of the original sound recording. Um, but on the internet, you have to pay both royalties for the, for the use of the um, original sound recording 
and the and the composition. So, for example, if you're playing a Bill Monroe song on the air and Bill wrote it, then Bill or his estate, of course, would get the royalty uh, for that and also the royalty for the recording or, or maybe Columbia Records owns it. Um, and that's where that royalty goes. Um, so there's, there's two royalties um, in um, in every piece of recorded music and the internet, oh, but the, um, the terrestrial broadcasters made sure that the internet providers had to pay both royalties because they don't want the competition. Um, it's just, just business. And, um, and so uh, we don't view that as a positive thing necessarily that, that, that all these broadcasters on the internet have called it a day because they couldn't afford it. Because, you know, there's an old Broadway saying that if one guy on the street is doing well, the street being Broadway in New York, um, then everybody's doing well. And if one guy's hurting, everybody's hurting. And I feel the same way about the music business. If bluegrass music is thriving and everybody's playing gigs and, and uh, people are buying records or buying downloads or however they consume music now, then that's a good thing. And if some of the, if some of the um, uh, uh, other entities aren't cutting it, that's not really a good a good sign. It's not really, um, you don't want to see the competition go away. I mean, you may think you do uh, on the surface, but really you want the competition to thrive because then all of our boats get raised. So that's the, that's the challenge. The challenge for next year is to increase the audience and to get people to listen to the music that have never listened to it before or who think, of, who think bluegrass is um, the Beverly Hillbillies or Hee Haw and they don't know that it's also the infamous String Dusters. You, you would have thought that in 2019 people would have gone well beyond that stage now, but you're still, you're still fighting that fight. Oh, sure. And, um, you know, I've been out to a couple of holiday parties over the last uh, few days because it's the season, and I've met people I don't know, and uh, they ask me what I do, and I tell them, and I can see that they think that bluegrass music, I, I can see that they think it must be kind of hokey. And they're wrong. I mean, there's a lot of great players. I mean, look, you know, look at Sam Bush and David Grisman and Jerry Douglas. Those people can hold their own with anybody. I mean, the last time I saw Jerry Douglas, he had a saxophone and a trumpet player on stage. You know, it wasn't bluegrass music, but it was good music. You know, and uh, is that uh, is that also Dizzy Gillespie? There's two kinds of music: good music and bad music, and that's pretty much it's either Gillespie or Ellington that might, said that, or a Ellington. bunch of jazz yeah. guys yeah. that said yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's that's the big challenge: is to expand expand awareness of the music, and uh, hopefully people will will hear it and like it, and perhaps stick around and buy some records, go to some concerts, and listen to it on the radio. Uh, speaking of concerts, uh, I believe uh, Bluegrass Country Radio or the Bluegrass uh, Country Foundation, you do sponsor concerts? Well, we, we have. We've done a couple of fundraising shows, and uh, the last one we did was an Embarrassment of Riches. It had five bands, and um, the, the, uh, the show was about five hours long. So, uh, I mean, we had Michael Cleveland, and we had, uh, uh, we had Jim Hurst. I mean, it was just, just a great day of music. Um, but, you know, it, it's a lot of work to get it done. We're a volunteer organization primarily, and one of the big mistakes that organizations make is when they um, start to do something other than their focus. And I think there's a long history of that. I've even <laughs> I've even made that mistake myself in in previous incarnations. So I don't want to become a a concert I don't want to become a concert promoter 
to, at the, um, to the detriment of the radio station. If we bite off more than we can chew, then we'll do, we'll do both things badly. So, um, but uh, we, have been in, um, we have been in some discussions with um, one local entity, and I'd like to um, not say who it is because uh, it's, um, it's really in the uh, early planning stages, but um, it could be a very good thing for Bluegrass Country Radio and Bluegrass fans in the area. And I'm talking about the D.C. area. Oh, wonderful. Terrific. Um, heading toward a, uh, a wrap-up a little bit, I just want to make sure that uh, the, uh, the YouTube presence for Bluegrass Country is under Bluegrass Country Radio? Yeah, you have to, you have to uh, look for uh, WAMU's Bluegrass Country. That's what it's called, because that was the original name, okay. and we haven't ever changed that. It, you know, an affiliation with WAMU is very good for us. You know, so if you look for WAMU's Bluegrass Country on YouTube, you'll find it. And you'll find a couple of hundred videos, and some of them are really good. <laughs> I think most of them are Most of them are, are really good. Really, yeah. uh, really good. And uh, for, those, um, uh, for those listeners out there um, that uh, would like to contribute to Bluegrass Country Radio, how can they do that? Well, they can go to bluegrasscountry.org. It's easy to donate online, and that's where about 90% of our uh, donations come now. They, they come from bluegrasscountry.org. But, um, you know, people, there are people that don't want to um, donate money online for whatever reason, and they can send in a check. Um, uh, our address is uh, it's Bluegrass Country at 4401A, Connecticut Avenue Northwest, number 137. Uh, that's in the district, and the zip code is 20008. Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. I always said the district because yes, I'm, okay. I'm trying to be a townie now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, is there anything you'd like to touch upon um, before we wrap it up? Well, I think uh, we've covered everything, but, you know, uh, I'll just say that, uh, you know, you started out by um, uh, talking about Dick Spotswood and starting in 1967, and that was all accurate. Gary Henderson was the engineer. He had been an NPR engineer, and... Um, and um, Spotswood started it all off with a 30-minute program in 1967 called Bluegrass Unlimited. And, uh, and Dick is still on the air, um, and, uh, and uh, he's um, just still doing great radio after all this time. And uh, so we have one person that's been there the whole time. A remarkable resource. A remarkable resource. And, you know, uh, when I was, I was at Jay Bruder's house, the guy that does the, uh, the uh, hometown special, and on his bookshelf... All these books about music by Dick Spotswood. So, um, uh, a great resource, and uh, um, you know he's there from the beginning right through till now. And so, uh, so maybe hold out for another sixty years. <laughs> I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> that was Chris Teske, program director of Bluegrass Country, talking with Howard Parker about the history of bluegrass radio in Washington, but more importantly, about how it's going today. To learn more or to make a donation, visit bluegrasscountry.org. I'm Katie Daly. Thanks for listening to Bluegrass Stories. Bluegrass Stories.